0: Good morning. If you can please take your seats and join me for scripture reading, Um, you can find it in your bulletin on page four. Today's passage comes from Romans chapter seven, verses one through six. Or do you not know brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code." The word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, Trinity. Good morning, it's good to be here. Uh, I want to thank Darian for jumping in last minute um, as I was sick last week, but it's good to have my strength back and to be with all of you. Well, we live in a Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok world of memes and sound bites and video clips. We like fun little bits of entertainment that fit in our ever-shrinking attention spans. And in that world, Romans 6 to 8 feels kind of out of place. Um, It's dense, theological, it's not always or immediately touching a felt need. It can feel kind of abstract, kind of removed. And yet, I wanted to offer it to us today as something that your hearts and minds can ponder, discuss, study, and even be moved by. I hope that it can provide a deeper foundation for our Christian lives and a more robust picture through which to understand the gospel. So stay with me as we dive back into Romans. We've been looking at the question, if we're under grace, why not sin? That's how he begins uh, chapter 6. If we live in God's forgiveness and acceptance, then why not just Live as we please. And the big answer that Paul has been giving through Romans 6 is that there's been a regime change. We have been transferred from one domain to another. We were once dead to sin, but now we're alive to God. We were once slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness. And Paul continues with that line of reasoning, that line of argument from one more angle, and that is that we are freed from the law. Now, back in chapter six, he kind of raised the topic, verse 15, he said, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Paul kind of comes back to that right now in chapter seven to unpack what he means by we are not under law. And he starts with this marriage illustration, saying a woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive, but if he dies, well, she's released. She can go and marry somebody else. She doesn't, she's not bound by her marriage vow any longer than verse four. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. That because of our union with Christ, we have died to the law. We are no longer obligated to the law. We are freed from the law. Maybe it's kind of like this. I remember, For a long time, I was working at this church, and it was kind of the policy that if you want to go on vacation, you have to tell your supervisor, make sure it's good, clear, get their permission, and then you go on your happy way. And then I stepped away from that church, and I was going on vacation, and I felt like I'm supposed to tell somebody, like I'm supposed to get permission to be able to go on vacation and it's as if Paul's saying, no, 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 you don't. You don't have to get permission from your former supervisor. You don't work there anymore. You don't have to follow those policies and procedures anymore. You are dead to that. Be free. Move on. Go on vacation. Do as you please. It's kind of the picture here. You don't have to hold on to that old law when that is now dead. But what does it mean to be dead to the law, to be released from the captivity of the law? What does that mean? Paul cannot mean, well, then we can just live as we please, that we can live lawlessly. I mean, that's the whole context here. That's exactly what Paul is arguing against. That can't be what it means. So what does it mean to be dead to the law, to be freed from the law? We'll come back to this a little later. Verse 4 continues, "Likewise Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. The picture here is that we used to be married to the law, but now the law is dead, and we're freed now to be married to Jesus. That we now have a new relationship, a new commitment, and then verse four continues, that we might bear fruit for God, to use language of Romans six, that we would become slaves of righteousness, that we present ourselves as slaves of righteousness, that we' become holy, that there's this beautiful outcome. So back to the question, if we 're under grace, why not sin? Paul is saying Picture after picture, paradigm after paradigm, he's saying we have been transferred from one kingdom to another. We, we have, sh- there's been a regime change away from sin and slavery and law. And he's trying to get us to see that there are two kinds of kingdoms, two different kinds of life, two different kinds of slaves and masters, two different marriage partners, two different trajectories leading to two different outcomes. To the question, if I'm under grace, can I keep sinning? Paul is saying, don't act like you're in Egypt now that you're in the promised land. That's silly, don't do that. Don't worry about your old supervisor. Now that you work for a new company, why would you, why would you do that? Don't date your former lover. Now that you're married to your spouse, that would not be good. (laughs) You're married now. Paul's saying, no, no, no. You don't belong in that old place anymore. You're now in a new domain, a new kingdom with new relationships. Or here's another way to put it. Don't live like you're single now that you're married looks like we have a lot of married folks here I want you to imagine turn to your spouse and say you know I like the legal status of marriage you know good tax benefits I benefit from your health cover insurance coverage I kind of like that but but I have to say I like the lifestyle of singlehood yeah you know, I like having my own freedom my own schedule my own friends you know the truth is I kind of like dating around so so what if we just, I, I keep the legal status of marriage, but the lifestyle of singlehood. Well, how's that gonna go over, <laughs> right? I mean, you would turn to that guy or that woman and say, sorry, that's not quite the way it works. You know, you can't just take the legal status of justification and embrace the lifestyle of sin now the gospel of grace is not just a ticket to heaven and now you're declared righteous and then you can go live as you please you have to embrace the whole new reality You're part now of a new family. You're a new person with a new life that produces new fruit that's headed to a new destination. There is a comprehensive transfer to a new kingdom. You can't just cut and paste and pick and choose. It goes together. In the uh, old movie Aladdin, Aladdin's a poor street kid who comes upon a magic carpet and a genie who grants him three wishes, the first of which he uses to become a prince that he might woo the princess Jasmine. And in that pursuit of Jasmine, he takes her on a magic carpet ride and sings her a song. I want you to, I want to adapt that song and I want you to picture Jesus on the magic carpet saying, I can show you the world shining shimmering splendid I can open your eyes take you wonder by wonder over sideways and under on a magic kingdom ride a whole new world a dazzling place you never knew but when we're together here it's crystal clear the old is God and the world is new unbelievable sights indescribable feeling soaring tumbling freewheeling through an endless diamond sky a whole new world a hundred thousand things to see you're like a shooting star you've come so far you can't go back to where you used to be a whole new world with new horizons to pursue a new fantastic point of view the oldest fading Power is invading a new world. We're making where there's no hating or degrading. The dead are raising, the hearts and lives are changing. God's glory is all pervading a whole new world. It's what I think Paul is trying to tell. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Paul is trying to point us to a new reality. He's saying, See it.
0: Believe it.
1: Live like it's true. I propose that we drastically underestimate how radically different the Christian life is supposed to be. We expect too little. Our picture of what Christ has accomplished for us is too small paul is trying to give category after category of these dramatic deaths to life a new slavery a new marriage and to, to get us to see that this isn't this isn't just now you get to go to heaven this is a whole new world a whole new life a whole new family a whole new reality do you see it believe it Can you live like it's true? He wants to embolden our faith. And what is life like in this whole new world? How do we live it? Paul in verse 6 begins to talk about serving in the new way of the Spirit. And that connects directly to Romans 8, life in the Spirit. Romans 7 you are no longer under law. Romans 8, we live in the spirit. And Paul will be explicit to say, what the law could not accomplish is accomplished in the spirit. But before Paul goes there, he takes the rest of the chapter, Romans 7 seven to 25, to address this different question. In verse 7, if you have your Bibles, he asks, Is the law sin? Having raised this issue that we are no longer under law, he asks, well, is it it sin? Is that the problem here? And Paul spends the rest of the chapter unpacking that, which we will look at next time. The rest of our time today, I want to go back to a slightly different but related issue of the law, and that is, how is it that the law is a problem? Why do we need to die to the law? In what sense do we need to be released from the captivity of the law? Or verse 5, how is it that the law arouses sin? Now that may not be the most immediate question that comes to your mind, but I want to remind you that Christianity came out of Judaism, and to the Jew, the law, the law was God's precious, sacred gift to his beloved chosen people. This is his divine holy inspired word his very word so how is it that we're to be released from the captivity of the law I thought the law was a good thing why does Paul say the law arouses sin why do we have to be dead to the law and freed from the law you can imagine to Come someone coming from a Jewish background, like that's very unsettling. I thought the law was a good thing. Well, let's see how Paul addresses this in verses seven and eight. Paul says, Yet if I if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Paul's saying the command, do not covet, actually made him more covetous. It made it worse. <laughs> that there's something about being told not to do something that then kind of stirs this, that's what I want to do. A few weeks ago. Um, A family invited our family over for dinner and they had a a griddle on the table on which we were gonna cook some meat cook and eat some meat it's kind of like an at-home Korean barbecue thing and as the griddle was warming up we said hey kids careful careful griddles hot don't touch the griddle and of course one of my boys comes by presses his finger right on the griddle walks away now would he put his finger on the griddle why would he put his finger on the griddle except that we said don't touch the griddle. What is that? Where did you get it from? I don't know. <laughs> or have you seen the kid? You said, "Don't touch that iPad. Don't touch the iPad," and look straight at mom and dad. Touches the iPad. What is that? What is that? Where did that come from? This rebelliousness, this defiance, this. I will not be told what to do. It's a picture of Romans 1 where although God is revealed, people chose, people exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They chose to worship the creature instead of the creator. There is a defiance. See, the problem is not just that we covet, though I'm sure we do, The problem, the deeper problem is, we don't want to be told what to do. We want to be our own gods. And God's commandments over us reveals, we don't want someone making rules for us. We're going to make our own rules. The law reveals how much we want to have our own way. One preacher described it as, the issue is less about law-breaking and more about law-hating. We do not want to be told what to do. Now, although that's always been true, I think there's a particular flavor that we have today. Glenn Packiam, in a recent book, describes shifts in our society, including what he calls the rise of expressive individualism, where the highest good the greatest virtue, the the true flourishing human life is to pursue your true and fullest self. He writes, you are holy, divine, and sacred, and the freedom to unleash that being within, to express your truest self to the fullest, is the equivalent of eternal life. This is the true life to express you, to be true to yourself. This is who we, this is what life is supposed to be. <coughs> and so anything that constrains that, anything that holds you back from that, well, that is a violation of our deepest human right. He continues, how dare a religious system and institution try to tell you what is and is not off limits to your sexuality? That's oppressive. And to the modern person, no one has authority to tell you how to define or express yourself. Any attempt would be seen as oppression. We will not be told what to do. And if so, we will protest without hesitation or remorse. We will be our own gods. Thank you very much. And the law rubs against that, doesn't it? It only reveals how much we will be our own gods. Verse 11 adds another layer. It says, through the law, sin deceived me and killed me. How did sin use the law to deceive us? language here reminds us of Genesis 3 where the serpent deceived Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. Did God really say? Did he say that? That maybe this God, you know, maybe he's not as good as he's all cracked up to be. Maybe, Maybe he's trying to withhold something from you. That's so unreasonable to restrain your freedom like that and they begin to doubt God's goodness. It's hard to surrender control because it's hard to trust others, right? It's hard, we'd rather just trust ourselves. So when we have all these commands, one way the law deceives us is it takes that law and says, those commands, are they really for your good? (laughs) Really? It doesn't feel like that does it now it feels kind of restrictive restraining like something's being withheld from you and now we think god is trying to hold back take away keep the fun stuff out of reach it can sound a little like hey i want just the right amount of jesus the right amount like enough to go to heaven <laughs> But not too much as to restrain me, to take the fun out of life. What good would that be? Sin deceives us to think this is, that God isn't good in his commands for us. I think in another way sin deceives us sin takes the law and deceives us is in verses 15 to 25 we'll look at this more next time but Paul gives this very existential account of the struggle how he tries to keep the law but he keeps failing verses 15 verse 19 he says I do not do what I want but the very thing I hate for I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing and he goes on and on about this struggle here the problem with the law is less about law-hating rebelliousness and more about law-keeping weakness that we are unable incapable of fulfilling the law oh thank you thank you, thank you. oh yeah you know Jesus said you give a cup of water in my name will not lose your reward thank you thank you hmm Um, it seems less about law keeping rebelliousness and more about law I'm sorry law hating rebelliousness is more about law keeping weakness that we are incapable of fulfilling the law no matter how hard we try it seems that sin takes the law and and tempts us to say well if you try a little harder try a little longer don't give up no 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 you can do this come on step up Be a good man. Be a good woman. You can, you can. All right, maybe you won't be perfect, but you'll be good enough. You'll be better than those other guys. Or to use the words of Romans 10, we seek to establish a righteousness of our own. The law deceives us to seek to establish a righteousness of our own. Paul's saying the problem of the law is that it, arouses sin. It reveals sin. It deceives us. It arouses our rebelliousness. We want to be our own God. Because how can you really believe God is always good? Don't those laws feel so withholding? It arouses and reveals our pride. we can be our own Savior. We can solve our own problems. We're good enough and capable enough. Reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son right the sin of the younger brother was rebelliousness to live as he pleased the sin of the older brother self righteousness to think that he had earned and deserved his inheritance but at the root of both of these is a life without God a life that says I don't want God telling me what to do I will be my own God I don't want God trying to save me. I'll save myself. I'll take care of it. We were made by God. We were made for God, but sin causes us to run away. How how does the law affect our relationship with God? It pushes us. Sin takes it and uses it to run away. See, the law was given not so much that we could obey it, or disobey it the law was given so that we would run to jesus the law was given was so that we would run to jesus but then we our sin took that law and used it to push us away from jesus it's kind of like suppose you're a parent and you're giving your child a car a very kind generous gift a nice car a tesla Wow, great car. Could be used in lots of good and wonderful ways. And the hope was from the parent, you know, hey, I'm going to give this to my child and we'll enjoy the car together. It'll be good for the family. You know, it will do things together. But the car aroused and exposed the desire in the child for adventure and independence. And so the child took the car and drove away to seek his own adventure. It's kind of maybe my illustration here, right? What he, God gave us was good. It was meant to move us toward him, but we took it and ran away, pushed him away. We will have our own life without you. I was thinking about how we do that. We take good things and we twist it and we use it to push him away and make it about ourselves like the bible bible's god's holy word meant to show us who he is and what do we do we read it we study it, and we say look how much i know (laughs) look how well i've studied or worship we worship worthy 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 in the midst of it we say yes am i not so spiritual am I not such a good worshiper? Like we take those very things that are good and we twist it and we make it about ourselves and we push him out of the way. I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was a pastor. I went to church. I loved my youth group. I read my Bible. I stayed away from sex and drugs and all those bad things. I did my homework, cleaned my room. And then after college, I went to seminary and became a pastor. Surprise! <laughs> <sighs> uh. Sin took God's law and deceived me to believe. I'm basically a good person. I mean, I... Of course I'm not perfect. I can't claim to be perfect, but better than average for sure. Right side of the bell curve. Absolutely. You know, like I, I really work hard at trying to follow the Bible and do the right thing. And if I'm honest, it's not just that I think I'm a good person. It's that I've built my identity around being a good person. Like I see myself, I value myself as a good person. And I want you to see me as a good person. You see, the law deceived me and the law enslaved me. This is the problem of the law. So what shall we do? What are we to do? Paul has been exposing the problem, showing our rebelliousness and our self-righteousness, that we took what was good and we ran away from God. I think it is good for us to pause, to reflect, and having our sins exposed, to repent. Perhaps you might pray, Lord, lord i repent of my rule breaking and my rule hating i repent i don't want to have my own way i want to trust you i want to surrender myself to you lord have your way in me have your way in me i consecrate myself i present myself as instruments of righteousness Lord, I repent of my self-reliant, self-righteous attempts at trying to establish a righteousness of my own. I repent. I am not the good person I thought myself to be, nor will I ever be that person. I deserve nothing but your wrath. And yet, you offer forgiveness You offer your own righteousness. You are my savior, because I am one who needed to be saved. Lord, instead of running away from you, instead of always making things about myself, Lord, I run to you. I need you. I want you. I want you. If you're not a Christian, this is the invitation. You don't have to keep pushing God away, having life on your own terms, by yourself. No, you can run to him and find forgiveness and healing and love and acceptance and a whole new world. We can repent. Paul has been exposing our sin in the context of showing us what we have been saved from he is showing us what we have been freed from that we are now dead to the law we are no longer under law we are now under grace paul is actually in showing us the problems of the law is showing us what we have been the old world that we have been delivered we are no longer there. We are dead to the law. The law is gone. We are no longer obligated. That's, that's the point of Romans 7, 1-6. And so we <laughs> repent, but we can also give praise and thanksgiving that we celebrate. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for softening my rebellious heart and giving me a desire to do your will, that there is an obedience from the heart. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being my righteousness, my Savior, from freeing me from the incessant burden of always trying to validate myself. Lord, thank you for taking my heart that wanted to push you away and giving me a heart that desires you worships you, that loves you. Because this, my friends, is the new kingdom you've been brought into. (laughs) This is what Christ has done for you. We rejoice and celebrate the good news. I want to invite us to pray. Maybe we might take this moment just for ourselves. Lord, we do repent. We repent of our self-righteousness. We repent of our rebelliousness. We, We repent of making it all about ourselves instead of running to you. And Lord, we thank you. We praise you. For you have brought us into a new kingdom with a new heart new desires, new taste buds to savor what is truly good in you. Receive our worship this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.